2: Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety podcast with me, Caroline Foran. I'm so thrilled to say that my guest this week is Steve Garrigan, the front man with Codaline. I'm sure you will have heard of them. They are famous all around the world. Their music has certainly soundtracked a lot of my formative experiences, big moments in my life. Steve is such a lovely guy. He has recently come out with a book called High Hopes, which is also named after one of their best hits and it documents Steve's experience with anxiety that he has been grappling with his whole life pretty much and it really has at times taken over and really gotten in the way of his life. So he very bravely shares his story in the hope of normalizing it for other people and I think he's done just that. It's a a brilliant read. It's out now in bookshops everywhere or online if you're listening from abroad. And here in this episode, we basically go back in time and talk about his experience from the beginning right up to present day, the defining moments, the, the, the points he got to where he knew he had to make a change, the things that have helped and how he looks after himself to this day. And I really, really appreciate Steve being so candid with me and sharing everything with me. It's obviously hard to hear people talk about having had such a hard time, but it makes you realise that you're never alone in it yourself. And I think one of the characteristics of anxiety is that you feel like you're the only person in the world. And clearly that's just not the case. So I hope you get some comfort from Steve sharing his story. And as always, thank you for the feedback, the reviews. I really appreciate it. And I'm very grateful to have you as a listener. Steve Garrigan from Swords and from Codaline. thank you so much for joining me on Owning It: The Anxiety Podcast. To start with, how are you? How are you doing in the midst of publicising a very, very personal book?
3: I'm I'm quite good. It's it's a very strange experience for me, but I'm very proud of the book. So, um, so I'm uh, so I'm good, and the reaction's
2: been really, really positive. It's kind of amazing what happens when you step out from behind the curtain and let your vulnerability be there and it's something that we fear most we want to hide but actually I'm sure you've experienced it now that people respond in kind and you know you just you forge even better connections with people and just you become more authentic and have you found that the anxiety has lessened for you just by the very fact of putting your story out there
3: yeah well writing the book itself was quite difficult there were certain things uh, I was going over in my past like The first ever panic attack I had, that was quite tough at the time, but then the more I kind of read over it, the easier it got. And then when I released the book or showed it to friends and family before I released it, uh, the reaction was really good and it was just all positive and great support. I'm lucky in that way that I have good friends and family, but, but to strangers who have read the book as well, it's been the same. So. It was daunting at the start, but I, I feel better for it and I feel stronger for it. Um, I suppose it comes down to like just talking in general in a strange way. Like, because I dealt with anxiety since I was a kid and I didn't have a panic attack until I was 20. And I had no idea what a panic attack was. I never even heard the word anxiety. And I, didn't want to talk to anybody about it because I thought that they w- wouldn't understand it. How were they supposed to understand it if I couldn't understand it? So I just kind of bottled it up. But it took me years to realize that actually talking is the first step and actually kind of dealing with it. Um, yeah. So, so this book is talking but it's on a different level it's it's out in the shops <laughs> you know take it to a whole yeah. other level so you've you yeah. say you
2: say in the beginning of the book that you've always lived with anxiety and it just you, you just said there but it wasn't until your 20s that you were able to identify it as such and I certainly mirrored the exact same pattern has it been important to you in trying to manage it to figure out why it's always been with you?
3: I did when I first started going to therapy I did psychotherapy and I went back to like being a kid, like growing up in my house, my parents, how I was treated and um, my brothers and sisters, any kind of trauma or anything that happened, but th- there was no real answer for me. Mm-hmm. Um, So I never really got to the bottom of it, but it's it's always been there. It started off as kind of just a shyness. Um, I am an introvert by nature and uh, I suppose that has possibly something to do with it, but what really, really helped me was CBT, me too, uh, Cogn- yeah, Cogn- cognitive behavioural therapy, which is kind of just catching myself in the moment and kind of questioning what my thoughts are and kind of rationalising them. But, um, but yeah, I, I've never actually figured out why. There's been no real key moment as to why I've experienced anxiety. It's just always kind of been there.
2: And do you think that maybe played into, I suppose, a bit of the. The shame you felt yourself about your anxiety in that you didn't feel like you had a good enough reason to justify it and the panic attacks and how it felt that, I mean, we're always looking for something to put our finger on that says, this is why this makes sense. And when you have a relatively good upbringing and there's no you know, obvious trigger, it can make the anxiety almost worse because we're, we're annoyed at ourselves for feeling it in the first place. And we think, well, look, life looks good. Why can't you just be okay?
3: Yeah, and I suppose... In Ireland as well, particularly among men, I was in a boys' school and growing up and stuff, but I I, I never talked about anything because I was afraid that people would, would be like, you'll be grand, everything's okay type thing. Just get up and get on with it. I was afraid that people would change the way they acted around me or treat me differently. And like my closest friends and family and stuff. And I didn't want them to treat me any differently or look look down on me I suppose but when I'm I'm 33 um similar age to you yeah
2: 33
3: yeah yeah um same age uh, high five <laughs> 19, uh- <laughs>
2: 1998 or 1988 babies Jeez, I took 10 years off myself there <laughs>
3: um yeah me too 1988 but um when I was growing up in school and uh, I was 20 years old when I had my first panic attack there was no talk of anxiety and I know it, it's recent enough like uh but it's great to see in recent years that people are so outspoken about it. And there's so many resources there online. And even yourself with this podcast is amazing. Um, but yeah, at, at the time when I had my first panic attack, I just, I think it was because of the stigma that I grew up around. Yeah. Like when I thought of mental health, I had never heard the word anxiety. So, I, but it was related to mental health. So that word scared me. And, I, and um, I thought that if I mentioned anything about that to anybody, they probably would have just been really confused and kind of afraid, I suppose, because of the stigma that was around at the time. There was no talk about it. Yeah. So I chose to just not talk about it for years and years and years. But then, funnily enough, when I did eventually open up to some of my closest friends, first and foremost, uh, it turns out uh, two of them were going through a very, very similar thing. And, and, and you'd never you'd never know
2: and were they male friends
3: they were yeah um one really good friend he's a great friend of mine still to this day um I, like and we were besties growing up you know mm-hmm. from the age of 13 but it was I think I was 24 25 when I spoke to him kind of like, just I had to speak to someone I think and he was one of the first people I spoke to and then straight away he was like oh yeah yeah uh, that happened to me and Um, I know what it's like. It's weird, you know.
2: You're like, why didn't you tell me?
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think he was you know similar to me in that sense you know he went to the same school he was in my class and everything you know so.
2: When you weren't able to identify it as anxiety and I mean I was the same I mean it was a long time before we had that language how did you make sense of it to yourself like did you just think I'm weird I'm shy I I feel uncomfortable in certain situations like how did it manifest for you before you got to the point of of identifying it as anxiety how did it feel?
3: Well I thought I was dying I know this sounds (laughs) sounds a bit extreme but well, when I first had my panic attack, the first one, I, I thought I was dying. And then I was in Dublin. I was running around trying to get, a, get to, into a doctor. And it took me a while to actually get one to see me because I just kept saying that I was dying. And wow. eventually one sat me down and calmed me down. And in hindsight, looking back, I think he must have had his own experience because he, he saw what it, he saw me, looked at me very calmly just said calm down and I was freaking out I was Mm. saying I'm dying I need please help me you know and he sat me down and he explained it to me he said it's it's a panic attack it's caused by anxiety and stress and it's in your head and he it did help a little bit I calmed down but I went home and I was still rattled for a couple of days and drained of energy and I still had some symptoms like heart palpitations and uh I I don't know different people have different symptoms
2: yeah I had I had all that yeah yeah
3: I had had a bit of blurred vision as well which was really scary but um a few days later I decided to go into the A&E and uh, I got my sister to bring me in uh because I was still in denial I was like how can this be in my head if I'm feeling these physical symptoms so I convinced my older sister to drive me into uh A&E and eventually I got seen by a nurse and she kind of said the same thing and then I pretty much spent I don't know about a month in my bed like in my bedroom just uh, being a bit of a hermit.
2: Was it it scary to you? I mean for me when I was told it's you know it's not anything else it's not some I thought it was like a new allergy I had or something or you know because for me it manifested in in a lot of like tummy issues but when I was told no it's just anxiety that scared me more and usually that's what reassures people when they're like oh I'm not dying but for me I don't know if you were the same to think that I was capable of falling apart to that extent and and to feel like it was all my own doing that was really really terrifying for me did you feel the similar?
3: I did yeah I I was blaming myself yeah (laughs) um you know uh it's funny, I wrote a song at the time uh, called High Hopes, and that's why my book is called High Hopes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a codeline song, and there's a lyric in it, and it says, I've only got myself to blame for it, but I accept that now.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: it's time to let it go, go out and start again. I kind of I felt like I was blaming myself for it, but then I got to a point where I knew that it might not go away,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and it was something that I had to deal with, but foolishly I decided to deal with it myself without talking to anybody
2: because you still had the stigma yourself I mean you still were stigmatizing yourself
3: yes pretty much um I well my thinking was you can fix something if it's physical if you break a leg or something that's fine I actually would have been happier if I broke a leg or broke two legs, you know, because at least like, they would heal and there was a way, a path to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, with anxiety, I was kind of just left in the dark. And I didn't know about therapy. I didn't know about, um, I, I didn't know how to go about doing it I, or, or getting help or talking about it. I, I, well, I, I basically knew nothing about anxiety. I found myself on forums a lot
2: mm. and where you're only going to hear the worst things on forums and yeah. you know, scare you more.
3: <laughs> I know. Like, honestly, at one point when I was at my worst, I, I was convinced I had a brain tumor yeah. because, um, I, I was typing in symptoms like blurred vision, um, and stuff like that. And, you know, Google, you go down the rabbit hole and all of a sudden you're, <laughs> you're, you're dying or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, yeah, I, I decided then to kind of trust the doctor doctor's opinion and the nurse's opinion because they're qualified and I'm not. And I did actually find a bit of comfort on some of those forums, forums that I was on because there was a lot of people kind of talking about it. Now, they were hard to find at the time. They
2: yeah. were like the, the dark web. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, not quite. But uh, yeah, they were you had to really, really search and search and search, which is what I did. Um. One of the best things I started doing was running. Okay. Um, And that uh, still to this day, exercise helps me a lot if I have a day where I feel overly anxious or I I feel like a good run or a good uh, hit session um, for me. Uh, any form of exercise kind of levels me out and takes the edge off the anxiety.
2: That's funny because obviously we know it depends on the person. But when when I, I tried running like so much when I was in the height of it and I felt like 10 times worse after a run. And I don't know whether it was because the, the racing heart when you stop running or like a, a high intensity exercise where the heart racing would feel too similar to me to anxiety. And then I would panic more. So I responded better when I switched tactic and went for more like, lo, you know, low resistance weights or yoga or that kind of thing. But it's interesting because people, I think, think, oh, just go running and you have to know that, okay, well, if it's working for you and you're feeling better, then great. But if it's not, you know, think about something else that might work.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, different things work for different people. Um, I, I know, I know when I was running, um, see exercise, especially high intensity exercise can sometimes bring on panic because you are stressing out the body and that's happened to me a few times, but I suppose I've learned to kind of see it for what it is and then just kind of push through and it, it's still incredibly uncomfortable don't get me wrong um, like it's horrible.
2: Because you're, you're in control of the situation yeah. I think.
3: Yeah it's kind of like I know what it is I see it for what it is I'll push through the exercise and then after the exercise I, I'm, I'm fine.
2: To go back to the, f- the first big panic attack I know it's it's tough to to relive those moments but looking back now like was there anything going on in your life at the time that helped you make sense of what, why then? Why at 20? Why in that moment? What? Why did it all come to a fore for you? Were you under a lot of stress? Was there a lot of change going on in your life? Was it a delayed reaction to something that had happened maybe years previously?
3: Um, uh, Looking back now, this is why CBT has helped me so much because the way I was talking to myself and beating myself up constantly every single day. Um I was like I was saying things that were really irrational like I'm a failure I'm not good enough every day like just automatic thoughts um, to the point where I was kind of unaware of it and I suppose that had a huge uh, part to play in the first panic attack and um there there were a lot of things going on I was I was repeating my leaving cert the leaving cert in general is a big stress repeating it is even more stressful mm-hmm. Um, I had been on a, a TV show in Ireland called Eurostar the first time I was doing my Leaving Cert and I couldn't, I, I didn't really do my Leaving Cert, I sat it, but I, I, I was on this TV show and uh, I suppose my teenage band, we were called 21 Demands, um, two of the members of Codeline actually, were actually in it as well. No way. Um, but we, we, ha- we got like a number one song in Ireland out of it. We, um, we got to tour a bit around pubs and stuff like that. And the back of trailers down in Cork and everywhere and anywhere that would have us, you know? So it, it was kind of, it was like 15 minutes of fame. And yeah. um, for me, I suppose I was thinking at the time that something great could come of this and we could make a career out of this, but as quick as that, those 15 minutes of, uh, of fame arrived, they were gone uh, quicker. So I found myself back, in school, the following year, repeat my leave insert. I was looking at my friends who were a year ahead in college. Mm. Um, I didn't know if I could actually get the points I wanted. At the time, I wanted to get into a, a law course, which I didn't get the points anyway. But uh, but yeah, I I constantly I, I repeated in the institute in town, which is a a fee paying place. So and my dad kind of forked out for that, so that. That was extra pressure because it was a lot of money and um i don't know I, i just kind of every day that year in the institute i would literally just kind of keep my head down i was afraid that people might recognize me from the tv show as well
2: and think of you as oh there's that guy who didn't make it
3: yeah exactly so that for me that was kind of like acknowledging the fact that I thought I was a failure the Mm -hmm. band had failed I'd never be a musician so um I do remember someone coming up and going oh how's the band are you not not doing music anymore you know Mm. I took that as clearly not I failed you know but the other guys in the band were were great you know they saw it as a great opportunity a fun opportunity which was the healthy
2: way to look at it you seem to have a lot of it probably attached to your sense of self-worth whereas maybe they were able to separate it and i think that's happens for people with an anxious disposition the things that we do the outward things that we achieve are very much part of how we make up our view of ourselves and when they don't work out or when they don't go to plan it can really shatter everything on the inside
3: yeah a hundred percent that's that's exactly it
2: everything you're describing there sounds like it like from someone on the outside looking in it's like of course you kind of fell apart with that much pressure on yourself and the self-talk which we we think being Irish I'm sure um, being an Irish lad as well you've grown up with the whole tough love get on with it sort of attitude and I I've I'm blue in the face talking about this but I I've done a podcast on it and I, I did interview Dr. Kristen Neff who is all about self she's like the the Brené Brown of self-compassion and you know she kind of taught me that it's not just about like Oh, it, it, it how, how it actually impacts you biologically and how you talk to yourself like that when you launch that attack on yourself with self-criticism saying I'm a failure I'm you know this is a I'm a joke whatever you're like you're stim you were actually like pressing a cortisol button in your body every single day and that was getting amped up and amped up and amped up and of course you got to breaking point where the cortisol just like you know you had to stick a pin in it it had to to release somehow and it came out in this horrible panic attack and I would have always been like oh whatever like be nice to yourself like that's just such a bullshitty idea but like self-compassion which is the complete opposite completely down regulates the stress response and it, it produces like calming hormones like serotonin and oxytocin and when I learned that that's what's happening at a biological level. I only then, and this is only like in the last few years, I only then really had an appreciation for the significance of how we talk to ourselves.
3: I'm, I, I'm still learning that. I, I, have to make, I have to make a conscious effort to actually be nice to myself. And if I catch myself saying something negative, like, oh, why did you do that? That wasn't good enough. You need to do better, blah, blah, blah. Or something that kind of affects me and makes me a little bit anxious. I have to catch myself and kind of disarm it. Um, which which works massively, but I didn't know all that, which is incredible to know. So thank
2: mm, you. Amy. There you go. <laughs> Welcome to Only <laughs> yeah. the Anxiety Podcast. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: So I need to ask you about the, the, obviously the irony of being an anxious person, but finding comfort in an environment that would br- send me to break out in hives on stage in front of tens of thousands of people with a microphone in your hand. That has always been your safe space. Uh, why do you think that is? And can you describe what that feels like for you when you're in it?
3: Um, well, from a very early age, the first time i stepped up on a stage uh, in a car- singing karaoke in laytown in a pub um with my family um i suppose uh, the crowd kind of clapped and for me that it it felt because of that moment i felt like i was actually potentially good at something um and it gave me a bit of confidence which i lacked kind of anywhere else so and that kind of kept happening. And then I found myself just kind of being more lost in, in music, like picking up the piano and playing the guitar and, and then um, eventually writing songs. And yeah, I mean, I, I kind of love it. it it's, uh, it's hard to explain. It's like, it's just a passion for me. And even to this day, like it is my job as well today. So um, there are some days where I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, but at the end of the day, I still absolutely love it. I'm obsessed with it. Um, there's nothing better for me than sitting down and writing a song and creating something from nothing.
2: Do you think like the, the songs you've written, the success that you ha- did go on to have and are currently still enjoying with Codeline, do you think that would have been possible without your anxious nature?
3: Uh absolutely not. No. I think if I didn't have that first panic attack when I was twenty, there probably wouldn't be any codaline. I was in college at the time. Um after that panic attack, my whole world was really turned upside down Mm -hmm. and I dropped out of college. I just kind of fell more into music than I ever had before. And I ended up writing like High Hopes was the first song I wrote a month after I had my uh, first panic attack wow. and that, that was a new kind of direction in sound and in kind of depth of emotion for me as a writer and I kind of sensed that um, and then the kind, our first album in a perfect world was kind of written off the back of that with that kind of vibe I suppose you'd call it in the music world um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah so, so to answer your question um, if yeah I, I don't I don't think so it, it, in a really weird way it kind of lends itself for me to writing music uh but
2: you have so <laughs> much to draw to draw on yeah
3: yeah and it's good it, cre- creativity is actually really really good for uh for mental health and anxiety you
2: know oh 100 expressing um, yourself yeah and it's just i mean the more and more i have these conversations there, there's rarely a person in a creative space who doesn't have some kind of background with you know really trying to figure things out and being very hard on themselves and struggling with anxiety. It, it just seems to be sort of par for the course, which is unfortunate, but that's why you produced such good stuff. So then when Codaline did happen and you were there on a very global you know, platform, did obviously that the performance, when you're in the middle of a performance, the anxiety is not there. You're anxiety neutral. You're in your safe space. But surrounding that, that moment is all of the fame, the, the schedule, the touring, the, the number ones, like the success being very measurable in terms of like how many albums did we sell and the stakes were obviously going to get higher. H- how have you felt, how has your anxiety been around being, you know, at that level?
3: I thought like it, it's it, today it's, it's fine. Like, I, I mean, through therapy and uh, kind of looking after myself, I have a much better handle on it. But I suppose when I was first kind of thrown into it, it didn't even occur to me that I had to do interviews. I remember, like, like all I wanted to do was write songs and record songs with the band and try and make the best album we possibly could. And uh, we did that. And then all of a sudden, these interviews started coming in. And um, I was lucky that I had the guys. So they're they're much more outspoken than I would be, you know, they're more chatty. So if I stumbled or was having a day where I'd be like extra quiet because of anxiety or whatnot, and they jump in and kind of fill in the blanks and talk and the interviews kind of went well, but uh, it, but they did make me really anxious. Um, uh, But I got through them, I suppose, with the guys. I wouldn't have been able to do it without them, I, I think. But yeah, there was a lot of pressure. There was pressure on the second, for the second album uh, as well.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's literally called second album
3: syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) I know, yeah. You have 20 years to write your first album and then like a year or two to, a year probably to write your second. Um, But yeah, no, it worked out well, like for us as well. Like, I mean, our our first album's our biggest, our second has done incredibly well too. And our album's kind of continue to do well around the world
2: and like can do you ever take a moment and just say like wow like look what you've done look what you've achieved or, or are you always thinking i have to get on to the next thing now or else I'll or else I'll fail
3: um I, I've I try to make a conscious effort to actually pinch myself sometimes um I, I do have those moments that I have to pinch myself like it's particularly big shows and stuff like that when people are singing back songs um we, we had a show in India uh in 2000 at uh, the end of 2019 and that was our first time there and it, it, it was a festival but there was about 20,000 at it and they were all singing back all our songs like that that for me is mind-blowing it's unbelievable like the kid in me like picking up a guitar or singing a song badly uh would never have thought that something like that could happen so i, I do feel very lucky mm-hmm. um, and very fortunate to be doing what i'm doing and getting to travel around the world but um but at the same time, it, it, as a as a musician and a songwriter, uh, I do say to myself that you're only as good as your last song. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of keeps me just it, it gives me motivation, I suppose, to keep on going and on to the next thing.
2: It's kind of like a double double edged sword, really, between like using it as motivation and using it as a, you know, stick to beat yourself with. <laughs>
3: I know maybe it's maybe I should reassess that actually but I mean point. I think
2: it, it's fine I think it I mean everyone has that drive you know that like I need to achieve this but I guess it's just such a blurred line and it's it, what matters is your perception if you can say okay like I'm going to strive for this but if it doesn't necessarily work out you can't turn on yourself then that's I think where the difference uh, is oh
3: yeah no 100 percent I mean when it came to music as well, uh, I would be very particular and I'd be trying to make it as good as it possibly can be, like I'm almost borderlining on, on perfectionism, um, which, which I know is impossible and it only, make, it only makes me even more anxious. So, um, so I, I'm conscious of that now as well. And I think I'm not as... Uh, like you are only as good as your last song but i don't mind if a song isn't as good as my best song or our best song with codeline you know it's just as long as it feels right and it feels good
2: that's a amazing place to get to if you can enjoy the experience of putting it out there and writing and not have everything you know it weighted on everything to do with your self-worth for people in that industry it must be such a hard place to get to but you've really successfully done that so well done so to go back to the timeline right so 20 years old is the big panic attack everything changes then you said 24 25 is only only then you kind of told friends and stuff what made you get to the point of telling people like what what pushed you to that point and and what changed from then on once you started sharing
3: well i i spoke to some close friends but not many people i mean I didn't properly actually go to a therapist, I think until I was 25, maybe 26 even.
2: Wow. That's a long time to have been grappling with that.
3: Yeah. But I I had spoken to a friend of mine who, who was incredible. Like there were times where I remember on multiple occasions, I'd be in the middle of like a mini kind of panic attack and Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, he would be on the phone and he'd just kind of be chatting to me and kind of calm me down. And, Funnily enough, you know, he'd call me if he was going through similar things. So we have this kind of unique kind of relationship. Um, but I had still never really spoken about it. I, I didn't really tell any of the guys in the band or any of the, um, the people we tour with, like our tour manager, our front of house.
2: So does that mean then you, were, you had to kind of hide it in that, in, when you're in such close quarters with each other?
3: Um, yeah. And I would do that by either stepping out of the room if 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 a room was full of like uh radio people and label people and all our crew after a gig i'd usually step out quietly And um, there were if, uh, on a couple of occasions where i'd have to like sit, uh go into a bathroom cubicle and kind of regain my composure um uh yeah i mean i was doing a lot of that and it became normal uh and i suppose it was a it was avoidance really for me At the time, I was kind of not really acknowledging the fact that I had a kind of a problem here that I needed to sort out or go and talk to someone, at very least, uh, a professional. Um, I suppose it all kind of built up to 2016. And this was the first time I actually had a panic attack and I canceled a show. That had never happened before. And in my head, this is what I was saying to myself. I was like, yeah, I know I have this weird anxiety thing that I'm dealing with, I can get through it. I'll just keep pushing on um, and I'll make sure it never gets in the way of the band or, you know, affects it in any way. But then in 2016 in uh, Spain in Barcelona, we were playing a show and I had this massive panic attack before the show. It was really bad it was like similar to the very first one i had when i was 20. i started thinking again that i was dying
2: yeah which,
3: which sounds surreal but the feelings again the scent that like the palpitations the dizziness uh, i had numbness in my arms and stuff like that pins and needles and I, I i let it kind of get the better of me and i was on the ground and i was like hyperventilating and, and i remember our drummer Vinny actually afterwards said oh that's what a panic attack is he, I, I had told him in passing mm-hmm. I think we were somewhere in the world that I was going through a tough time and I was dealing with this anxiety and I've had panic attacks and he, he was he was really nice and really supportive but he didn't really understand but then when he saw that he, he was like oh my god I didn't know I didn't know it could do that
2: yeah and it's not just it's not just the way you're thinking it's such a physical manifestation yeah. that I mean, shuts everything down.
3: Yeah, like I, I I ended up calling an ambulance that night and by the time, obviously the guys went out, the venue was, it was a sold out gig and it was 10 minutes after we were supposed to be on stage. I just kept saying, I need to cancel it, need to cancel it leading up to the show. And then eventually they went out on stage and explained to the crowd that the gig wasn't going to happen. And um, I i I was still feeling really bad and i called an ambulance but by the time the ambulance actually got there i actually felt kind of okay Mm -hmm. and i sat in and the two paramedics go you're fine they check my vitals and everything and um they said have you ever had a panic attack and i kind of felt like saying (laughs) you know uh, yeah every day (laughs) you know type thing um but it was after that that i really really realized that i couldn't run away from it and that Mm -hmm. i had to uh really go and talk to someone so that was kind of the start of my journey in terms of like going to a therapist uh trying to look after myself you know exercising more and eating well and stuff and i'm still on that journey
2: we all are i mean i i'm very adamant to to say that you know it's it's not a case of like oh, you wrote your book or I wrote my books Are the podcast because here I am now perfectly well adjusted again and now I'm acceptable in society again. We can be in the middle of it. We can be going through it. We can be figuring it out all the time. Like anxiety is a stress response that we all have. Some of us feel it more than others and it's about managing it day to day, month to month as opposed to getting rid of it.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ
2: About the panic attacks, I found, I don't know if you were the same, that what mat- what eventually mattered more was not the panic attack itself not happening, but how I treated myself in the aftermath. So I'm curious, you know, in how you spoke to yourself after when the, those paramedics said you're actually fine and you had cancelled a gig and you're there thinking, I'm after letting the guys down, I'm after cancelling, this is, this is real big shit. Like, were you, did you tear yourself apart or were you able to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I know that this is too much for me and I need help and that's okay.
3: Um, both. I think my first reaction was why didn't I do the show? It was only a panic attack. I've had one, you know, I've had them before and I've been dealing with it for a long time. It's not, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, I've let the guys down, you know, just beating myself up constantly. But then ultimately I just said to myself okay you know I need to go get help and sort this out because <laughs> you know it's it's not doing me any favors and uh, yeah I need to kind of get myself better in a better place um so yeah I mean that's and I was fine with that and that, that for the first time ever I was fine with that I didn't care about talking about it I didn't care about I talk to anybody about it now really you know to be honest
2: how did you get to a point of accepting that maybe this was just your nature something you were going to have to deal with because for me that was definitely a turning point is when I was like okay I've got to work with this instead of against it
3: a good while after I had my first panic attack I kind of said that to myself I was like okay I might have this forever so I'm gonna learn to kind of handle it but I was figuring it out myself and a lot of it involved avoiding situations and stuff like that, which is unhealthy. And you know, um, what I really needed was to talk to a professional. You know, but in, I didn't want to because I was ashamed of it because of the stigma at the time. So it took me years. And then in 2016, after I had that panic attack, I, I just fully kind of said to myself that this is something that I possibly will have for the rest of my life but there's got to be better ways to deal with it. and I, and I need to go to a professional and I'll do whatever it takes you know I have to look after myself do more exercise uh yeah and just kind of be wary of my internal dialogue don't beat myself up too
4: much
2: let's talk about what has really helped you then i mean it's been a couple of years now of putting in place various I guess shifts in mindset and tools and things like what would you say has been the one thing for you that really made a difference
3: um a huge thing is actually learning to say no Mm -hmm. I used to say yes to absolutely everything and I suppose that you call that people pleasing um even when I knew I knew that it wasn't good for me like if I needed to rest if I needed if I was exhausted from touring if I was completely drained and all I needed to do was go to sleep you know I would say yes to to do something or to help somebody out or whatever I um I've learned to kind of say no a lot and set boundaries and that has been a huge that has had a huge impact on me um I suppose uh exercise is still great for me like I kind of swear by it uh but I I had a lot of like you know with cognitive behavioral uh therapy like uh, black or white thinking and all a like black or white thinking uh, people pleasing um mind reading uh, yeah. Like I, ha- I have this i have this list upstairs on my wall in my bedroom and i look at it most mornings or if i'm getting overly stressed after something like that's that i've done during the day maybe a rehearsal with the band or like a meeting with management or something i'll go to that and i go oh that's what i'm doing yeah okay and then I'll like correct myself.
2: Something that, that, uh, that I find I'm a devil for, I wonder if you're the same, is personalization where, you know, someone being in a bad mood or some kind of slight tone in an email, you think it's, it's you. <laughs>
3: yeah 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 i i do that as well i have done that and uh, i have to be wary of it
2: these are such innocuous seeming things that can just kind of build and build and then you're like hang on i'm in a very anxious headspace right now and i can't i need to know that i can't trust the narrative that my mind is giving me
3: for me just that list alone it, like i have it on my phone as well i had it as my screensaver for a while to be honest. <laughs> yeah <laughs> just just to try and catch myself um but now I, yeah i mean like as i said i i have a long way to go and i still have days where it's quite tough um but but i'm okay with that and i just have a better handle on it like and it, it comes down to just the the therapy that i've done and just being more mindful of my own kind of inner dialogue I suppose.
2: And, and if it pops up for you now which you know of course it does from time to time are you able to kind of see it coming that like okay I know that maybe I took too much on or I said yes to too many things or I, I socialized too much when it just doesn't necessarily fill my tank like are there are there very obvious scenarios for you in which it will pop up?
3: Um, yes well yeah if I have a lot of things on uh, I'll be kind of mindful of looking at everything that's going on that day ahead like ahead of them happening and um just making sure that it's actually it's good for me I'm feeling good I have the energy to do it but if I want to leave one because I'm too tired or too drained or something that's okay too
2: and if you're going into like a a crazy tour schedule are you able to say to yourself look this is going to be full on, I probably will feel a bit anxious at times and that's okay because sometimes we can't avoid it and it's, you know, we we can't say no to to everything, especially when it's work involved. So you kind of have to allow for the fact that anxiety might show up. And I mean, I felt like that on, on my wedding day. I was like, for so long it was like you can't feel anxious on your wedding day it has to be the best day ever and eventually I was like I probably will feel anxious like it's a bit of a weird scenario
3: one one, one of the biggest days of your life yeah that?
2: and like I was like it doesn't have to be the best day of my life it can just be hopefully a really nice day and yes it's a bit unusual yeah. to have that many people in one room for you if I need a minute to go upstairs and if I have a panic attack that's okay and that that for me like kind of foreshadowing I guess scenarios where anxiety might pop up and allowing for it has been like one of my biggest tools it it, it's it's kind of I guess it sounds kind of funny but you're kind of like just allowing for it to come on
3: yeah uh, I I I do I do the same just it will happen but that's okay like what I tell myself is like a panic attack has never has never killed anybody Mm -hmm. you know and it's 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 a horrible experience, but um, if you see it for what it is, it makes it a little bit easier. Not that it's not that it's in any way not horrible.
2: I mean, it's not. There's no point in dressing it up.
3: Yeah, but it makes it uh, it makes it a little easier. Yeah. Um, I like. I think for me as well, like having a schedule. Like back in the day when I was touring, I say back in the day. It's only a few years ago. Like an old man. <laughs>
2: um, the good old days of yours.
3: <laughs> back in the good old days. Um. When I first started touring, I kind of just threw myself into it and I, I wasn't doing anything to look after myself you know physically mm-hmm. or, or mentally I was just kind of throwing myself around into everything um, and if you do that I think if anyone does that they're eventually going to burn out mm-hmm. what I do now on tour is I have like um, certain things that are non-negotiable like I'll go to the gym in the morning you know um, and I'll just kind of up my self care, like make sure I'm eating well. Um, obviously I'll still go out at times and have a pint or two with the guys, you know. Um, but yeah, there's certain things I have that really, really help me. And you know, it's getting up in the morning, exercising.
2: And now that you have shared, I mean, once you've made that choice to share back in the day with with people, like is is that one of your first go-tos as well to just say to someone or say to, Diana your girlfriend like oh I'm having a bit of an off day like does it help you to just like to label it and say I'm a bit anxious today but that's okay let's just continue on
3: yeah I mean I have those days occasionally now as well Where you can you vocalize know. it like yeah I'll just say I'm having a bit of an, an anxious day today just even just vocalizing it usually actually makes it easier
2: I find that too and it just it's it can be so hard for people to vocalize it but it's such a roadblock in the way of feeling well I think is trying to pretend like it's not there but it is hard it is hard because you, you know there's such a natural fear of being judged or seeming like you can't cope or worrying people or any of those things, but the more and more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. Like, I mean, I got to the point where I'd say to my husband, like, "Oh, I had a panic attack." The same way I'd say, "Oh, I had a ham sandwich," and he's like, "That's oh, that's okay." Yeah, you know, it just became so normal that it was like not like, "Oh my god, you had a panic attack!" Oh my god, let's stop everything. He was like, "Okay, let's unpack it if you want to. That makes sense. Maybe there's a lot going on. Do you want to talk about it, or do you want to maybe watch some Netflix and?" I just be like oh okay well I think I understand why it's happened so maybe nice be nice now to just distract myself a little bit and I know what I have to do I'll pull back on here and I'll you know I'll do some more quiet time here and that and just making it really normal I think is really important for for everyone at a collective level.
3: A hundred percent but I mean it's uh it's so important and it, you know it has that is that has happened in the last couple of years um but it can always be improved so I think the more people who actually put that message out the better because it can't I know when you're going through something like this maybe for the first time or you've never experienced it and you can you can feel like you're alone and you can feel like your whole world is falling down so um it's great to have uh, people talking about it
2: and you've done that now I mean was there in bring in deciding to write the book which you know, was definitely going to be a tough experience and then putting yourself out there like you never have been before. What made you decide to do
4: that?
3: Well, the only reason I actually decided to do it was to do just that, to keep the conversation going. Cause I know like I have friends even now that still would kind of be in the mindset of, Oh, I'm grand. Everything's all right. No, I'll be all right. I won't talk about it. But they're the very people that have that are in silence when they go home or whatever are experiencing like this type of thing themselves and they're not talking about it so I've kind of seen that firsthand and I figured like I may, I may as well talk about my story because it might help somebody out there
2: one of the best things that I think will come from this is that people will look at you and say okay, there's someone who struggles with anxiety and he's the lead singer in a really massively successful band. That means that my anxiety doesn't have to define me or prevent me from doing things. You can bring your anxiety along with you. It doesn't mean that you have to get rid of it to have success. You know, it can be there in the background and you can learn to manage it. And I think that's really massive for people to know that they can still achieve things. And people say to me all the time, like, oh, I... I'm glad to know that, you know, I had a baby last year, like you can have kids, you can get married and it doesn't mean you can't do any of these things just because you struggle with anxiety.
3: Absolutely, yeah. It's really important to actually get that message out again.
2: Steve, I can't thank you enough for sharing everything that you did with me today and being so eloquent about it and just really speaking from the heart. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, is there any one kind of nugget parting advice for anyone listening now who's feeling maybe they're right where you were at 20 years of age in that panic attack? What would you go back and say to yourself then? And what would you say to that person?
3: Ooh, that's a good question. I would say there's nothing to be ashamed of and there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, there are so many resources out there to help you. Uh, it's important that you talk to people. Um, to find a friend, find a, someone in your family, even a teacher or anybody who you can confide in because you'd be surprised how, how much support is actually out there. Don't bottle it, don't bottle it up because it'll only get worse and everything will be okay.
2: It will, it will be okay. And you are very much okay and I really hope that you feel a great sense of success and achievement for for sharing your story and for knowing that you will help so many people and hopefully you'll have helped yourself in the process as well i hope this has been not too stressful an experience having (laughs) to talk about it again this morning but i've really enjoyed it so thank you so much steve
3: no um thanks for having me on i'm i'm actually a fan of the podcast (gasps) i forgot to say that at the start
2: really oh my god see i just think that my mom and my husband listen to it and that's it so when i hear the people like in you know major bands actually listen that's really amazing thank you so much
3: no it's really great it's it's a great thing you're doing with it and um yeah you, you should be proud of yourself I, i'm a fan
2: oh thank you so much welcome here best of luck with the book i'm sure it will do phenomenally and best of luck with whatever is next for code Align and just be really kind to yourself
3: um thank you very much cheers i appreciate it you too
1: luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
2: The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes, you will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for owning it real time and access a full library of 10 situation specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.